0: The Old Testament reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 31, verses one through 11. The Lord spoke to Moses. See, I have called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with divine spirit, with ability, intelligence, and knowledge in every kind of craft to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood in every kind of craft. Moreover, I have appointed with him Ohaliab, son of Ashimek, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given skill to all the skillful so that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the Ark of the Covenant, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin with its stand, and the finely worked vestments, the holy vestments for the priest Aaron and the vestments of his sons for their service as priests and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. They shall do just as I have commanded you. This is a word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, "'The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, "'because he has anointed me "'to bring good news to the poor. "'He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives "'and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Um, I have a little bit of an
1: awkward, uh, I don't know, admission to give to everyone. Um, As we were planning this epiphany series, right? So this time of seeing this divine spark that shows up in our world as a human. Uh, I'm looking through our schedule, and I laughed to myself when I realized I'm the one in charge of seeing our work. Um, The reflection title is on the next page after the scripture reading. But I had to laugh because if you know much about me, you would know that from the time I was 17 all the way up until yesterday, actually, um, I tend to have these very angst-driven existential conversations about work, um, career, calling, vocation. I have used all of those words. Um, and I always have a hard time settling. So I am not an expert to be telling you during Epiphany on how to see our work. For that, you really need to come tonight, and Chris Messick will help us out with that. So he's the expert. I am just going to be a fellow journeyer um, through a couple different passages of Scripture here. So just come with me as we work our way together through a few different ideas of what it would mean to see God and to see our work and what it is that we are doing, especially us, this community of Resurrection Philadelphia. We get to start with this really beautiful passage in Exodus, I love this passage. In fact, I really like both of these passages. They're super, super dense with gorgeous details and meaning that we could spend a long time in each one of these. I'm going to choose one layer out of each of these passages um, that kind of show us clues about how to see our work. When we look at this Exodus passage, I mean, the greater context is that the Israelites are in the wilderness. They're in a liminal place. It's a really, really hard place. There is stark beauty in the wilderness where they are. Um, It's a beauty you see and notice only when you have water and shelter. If you don't have this constant supply of water and shelter, this place feels precarious and you feel very vulnerable and it kind of brings up this internal fear about what it is that you are doing there and what your survival will be like. In this place, in this fear-inducing place, the Israelites are going to build something beautiful. And the Israelites who have been moving through this space themselves in tents are going to craft a tent or a house for God so that God can be in their midst. The details of what it is that they are crafting, what they are building, have been described since chapter 25. So we're in chapter 31. So we have all of these chapters of instructions of what the idea of this place is going to be. And if you need a craft or something to do on a very cold Sunday afternoon, I would say get out some graph paper and then read the details of the tabernacle and draw it. In the process of doing that, you will uncover all kinds of gorgeous details about this place that God wants to dwell in with his people. And I love this because as we move into our chapter, we're getting to the point where we're going, okay, God, how is it that we take an idea and we bring it into reality? And God goes, well, this is when we see God being a patron of the arts, because God goes, you know what, it's not Moses and it's not Aaron, right? It's not the leader and it's not the high priest that can do this, it's the artists who can do this. And so he calls forth by name, two different artists, Bazael and Aholiab, and he says to these artists, I am pouring out my spirit on them, and so it says in verse 3, I've filled them with a divine spirit, with ability, intelligence, and knowledge. Some translations will say things like wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. These three repetitions of very similar words saying I'm making them to be expert crafts people. And he calls forth these artists and he says these are the ones who can take an idea and bring it into reality. This is what I like to call the wisdom of the artists because their ability to call forth something that is so beautiful. And in creating this beautiful thing with all of these textures, they're teaching the rest of the Israelites how to see, how to smell, how to sense, and how to taste the glory of God in the midst of the people." This wisdom of the artist, um, this wisdom of art that we see expressed here, this creating something beautiful in the midst of the people is so fabulous because these artists are going to contribute to something that for years and years and years helps the rest of the Israelites experience God's glory. not that incredible? This is when I go, we need our artists among us. We need the vision, the creativity, we need the wisdom of the artists who are among us and we are quite fortunate in our community for having a decent number of artists who are here and we need them because we need that kind of wisdom to teach the rest of us how to experience who God is in his glory. We move into Luke So we are now 1,500 years later, and we're looking, we're moving from this, um, this physical encounter of God's glory through the tabernacle, and we're moving into this experience of God's glory in the world around us. So when we talk about Luke, man, talk about artistic encounterings of God. This happens in Luke. He is a master of creating a beautiful narrative. Luke does what um, a lot of the other gospel writers do. He does it in a different way. He has a different style. Luke quotes and layers in a lot of Hebrew Bible references. Now, he does it differently than, say, Matthew. Matthew uses this phrase, this is to fulfill what the prophet said. He says this a lot. Or Luke doesn't do that. Instead, Luke, often when he's quoting or making reference to Hebrew Bible, he puts it in the mouth of one of the characters in the narrative. And then he is asking you, me, the readers of the text, to interpret his reference based on the context of how he has inserted it into the narrative. So we have this great story, and I love this one. I love teaching on this, but I'm going to just peel off one layer today. So Jesus is in Nazareth. He's at the very beginning of his ministry and this is one of those fantastic times when Jesus is proclaiming, this is the mission of God, this is what I'm here to do. And so Jesus is going to open the scroll of Isaiah and he's going to read from it. Now, anytime anyone in the New Testament references an Old Testament passage, we have to go, what is the larger context of that passage? So we look not just at the exact words, but we have to go back to Isaiah and say, what is going on in the book of Isaiah? Now, this is really interesting the way that this is crafted in our portion here, because it's actually a mashup of two different places in Isaiah that Jesus is reading. So he starts with Isaiah 61. Okay, so then you should automatically go, what's the context of Isaiah 61? Isaiah 61. Is this glorious chapter that talks about what liberation is like. When God is going to come and liberate his people, when God is going to do another exodus and pull his people out of oppression, what does that look like? That is Isaiah 61. And so Jesus starts reading from Isaiah 61 The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release of captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And we're hearing this hopefulness that is in the book of Isaiah. Except this phrase right here, to let the oppressed go free, that is not in Isaiah 61. That is Isaiah 58. Okay, so what's the context of Isaiah 58? Isaiah 58 is all about what the true behavior of God's people is supposed to be. So what is it they are supposed to do? They are supposed to let the oppressed go free. And then it goes on to share the bread with hungry, to house those who are unhoused, to clothe those who are naked. And it goes on and on. And why do they do that? Because that is an expression of God's glory in the world. So we have this interesting like little insert of Isaiah 58 and then Jesus goes back to Isaiah 61 to say, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is actually only half of the phrase. The phrase that is left dangling, it's up in the air, not quite spoken, but the one that everyone else in the room would have known is coming next is supposed to follow that phrase is the phrase and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, we could talk for a long time about what it is that the people heard Jesus say, what Jesus is saying, but I think in relationship to seeing our work, we, the readers of Luke, look at Jesus and we recognize that Jesus sees himself as the spirit anointed one like the artists in Exodus, who also were the spirit anointed ones. Jesus goes, I am the spirit anointed one who is going to bring about the liberation Isaiah was hoping for. But by inserting Isaiah 58, it's a call to, in that liberation, what does it mean that God's people are supposed to do? They are supposed to act in such a way to bring God's glory and make God's glory visible in the world around us. And we see this whole like multi-layered way that can happen, proclaiming good news, feeding people, clothing people, giving people shelter, all these different multifaceted ways of bringing about God's glory. And As I put these two passages together, I realize that there's a connectivity um, that is happening, that there's multiple people who are involved, whether it's in building the tabernacle and everything that goes into it, or whether it is fulfilling this call that Jesus is giving to those people who are going to follow after God. There's a multiplicity. We need all these different kinds of people with all these different kinds of skills to give out of what their wisdom is that they have received. This is when I kind of look out at all of you. And I think back to even last year, we did the sacrificial offering and we gave to the to various relief efforts in the Ukraine, and we gave to a local organization, to the New Day Center. I look at people like Ruth Abaya, who is here in our church, who is working in the emergency room at CHOPs to help kids who are going through um, issues related to gun violence, to Ruth Naomi Floyd, who composes these gorgeous songs of protest and liberation. To Melissa, who creates these gorgeous ways for us to encounter the beauty of who God is. Not the place I thought I was going to get emotional. (laughs) That's weird and awkward. Just continuing the awkwardness of the morning. Hmm. Okay. Thank you for all the smiles you guys are giving me. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> anyway, these two passages for me, in their richness, in their depth, in all the different things we could take out of them, is showing us that we need to get out of the habit, right? We have this language when we talk about vocation, about career, that is climbing a ladder, becoming an expert, getting better, and ascending. And what we see instead is a fixing. You could, if we're gonna keep the, the analogy, the vertical analogy going, you could say it's actually a fixing that which is below, right? That which is broken. Speaking on behalf of those who don't have a voice and in coming together with all of the different skills that we have because we individually cannot do everything ourselves. We cannot bring about God's kingdom by ourselves, right? But as we come together, we are creating an opportunity for us as a congregation and us as Philadelphians to experience God's glory here on earth, the way that I think he would want us to. Let's pray together. Holy God, thank you for wanting to dwell in our midst, for wanting to make yourself accessible to people, for calling forth people, giving them the skills they need. And as we contribute these skills to the to the rest of our community the way that we get to experience your glory in a wonderful, tangible and visible way. God, thank you for for the opportunity that we have to participate in your kingdom. The fact that you don't just come and impose it on us, but you come and Extend an invitation for us to participate with you in building it and in experiencing it. And in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.